Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 208, Natalia Deng on Eternity. This episode of the Trinity's podcast is the third in our series of presentations from the one-day conference on God and Time held in Bonn in 2017. The talk is by Dr. Natalia Deng. She's a PhD from Oxford University, and she went on to do postdoc gigs at the University of Geneva, the University of Notre Dame, and Cambridge. She specializes in metaphysics and philosophy of religion, and is currently assistant professor of philosophy at Yonsei University, Underwood International College in Seoul, South Korea. In this talk, she presents a portion of a longer paper in progress on the philosophy of God and time. She first discusses and criticizes recent work on clashing views about divine eternity and God's life, and she ends up discussing an interesting argument for divine temporality. On the blog post for this episode, I have links for many of the philosophers that she mentions as she goes through this interesting material. So without further ado, Dr. Deng. Thank you very much for the for the uh, invitation, and it's particularly nice to be able to present this to this audience to get feedback on this uh, article. So, as you can see, it's a survey article, so it'll be a little bit, in that sense, like the first talk, an opinionated introduction, a little bit also like the second in the sense that it um, touches on, as you say, both the philosophy of time and philosophy of religion. I've given you the whole handout. You can just either listen to me or follow along. Of course, I will not talk about all of it, um, but I've given you the whole so that you can also, if you want, give me feedback on the structure. Okay, so the term eternity, to start with the introduction, plays a key role in discussions about how the God of Western theism relates to time. These discussions have a long and venerable history. They're also of lively contemporary interest. I take it that the reason for this long-standing and continued interest is straightforward, namely... How you see God's relationship to time has repercussions throughout philosophy of religion and philosophical theology. For example, how much and in what ways does God's relationship to time and therefore his nature differ from ours? Uh, Can a creator of the universe exist in time? Is it coherent to think that God exists outside of time? How much can even meaningfully be said about what God is like as opposed to how God is not? How, if at all, can an unchanging God interact with the world, affect history, respond to petitionary prayer? How, if at all, can God know all that will happen if some of our actions are genuinely free? And even, how should one think of the relation between science and theistic religion? Can empirical findings confirm or disconfirm theism? So, conception of how God relates to time is central. The entry uh, mostly focuses on this topic, topic of God and time, I think there are many other philosophical contexts in which the concept of eternity plays a role or can play a role. And the final section, I probably won't talk about it here, but outlines some of those. Okay, so terminology. Theism I use to refer to the view that there is a God who is omniscient, omnipotent and omnibenevolent, who created the world and who is still actively involved in the world. Now, in philosophical discussions about God and time, take the, the term eternity has been used in different ways. On one usage, the one that I follow, um, eternity stands for the relationship to time that God has, whatever it is. When used in that way, the term is neutral between different ways of spelling out what God's relationship to time is. 
So then Western theists agree that God is eternal, and the task is to formulate and assess conceptions of what this eternality amounts to. Broadly speaking, there have been two rival views of what God's eternality consists in, which of course we've heard a lot about already. On the first, God is timeless. On the second, God is in time, roughly speaking. Sometimes the term eternity is used to denote instead the timeless view, but I will use it as neutral. The term everlasting or sempiternal, on the other hand, is mostly associated with the temporal view. And on the temporal view, God is in time and thus exists at every time, meaning there is no time at which God doesn't exist. Brief methodological remarks. So this discussion inherits the complexities of two very intricate philosophical debates. Given the nature of the topic, it is perhaps not unreasonable to wonder what methodology can be fruitfully employed here. As the discussion concerns the God of Western theism, one set of constraints arises from relevant passages in Western scripture. Specifically, much of the discussion focuses on the Judeo-Christian and especially the Christian tradition. At the same time, though, specific Christian doctrines such as the doctrine of the Trinity or the Incarnation are not the focus here, even though they're closely related. Now, the Old and New Testament texts contain many passages calling God eternal. As we've heard, um, also ones that elaborate on God's eternality, for example, God's years will never end, God exists from everlasting to everlasting. God says, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. I am the first and I am the last. Who then is like me? And finally, God promised us eternal life before the beginning of time and that he is before all things. Arguably, these passages require interpretation and that's where the philosophical work begins. I take it that opinions in this literature differ somewhat over whether it's bad methodology to let your theological commitments determine your views about the metaphysics or even the physics of time. Historical remarks, um, I will mostly um, skip over, partly because um, I am very grateful to Paul Helm for allowing me to use some material of his entry verbatim here. But just briefly, one thing that I'll say here is that the timelessness view has dominated in both philosophy and theology. And for that reason, much of the historical discussion revolves around that view. But I'm, I'm very open to uh, feedback, of course, on that. And another thing that I'm interested in, in feedback on is there will be a subsection on um, medieval thinkers in which um, Paul Helm says that uh, there the discussion embraces not only Christian but also Jewish and Islamic thinkers. He mentions Maimonides, uh, for example. And yeah, so I'm you know, concerned to get the balance right here. It's, it's a very Christian a heavy topic, but uh, yeah, I'm interested in feedback on that as well. Okay, section four, views on God and time. So as a preliminary remark, um, I say it has been suggested that there are actually two orthogonal issues here. One, whether God is located in our space-time, the space-time investigated by modern physics, and two, whether God is eternal or everlasting. Of course, that's not the terminology I'm employing here, but I'll go with it for now. So the idea is God could be eternal, with a life that's not marked by temporal succession while being located at every space-time point. Conversely, God could be everlasting while not located in physical space-time at all. Now, at first sight, that distinction can seem to leave the second issue somewhat mysterious. If the issue is not being located in our physical space-time, then what is it? What can it mean to say that an entity is everlasting or exists at all times if that doesn't commit one to a view on whether that entity is located in space-time? What then are times? Are they not somehow to be understood in terms of space-time ultimately? However, I think there are um, two distinct issues in the vicinity. One is about God's life, or for want of a better phrase, the nature of God's experience. Whether or not a being experiences succession, 
and more generally what the atemporal or temporal features of it, its experience are is an is issue that's distinct from whether or not that being is located in space-time. But there are also connections between them. So the beings that we're most familiar with, such as ourselves, are spatiotemporal and they experience temporal succession. And for us, these facts are interestingly related. It's partly because we're located in space-time that we experience succession and there are questions about the details of that connection. Okay, so the section then outlines a few views, a few views, but with a strong focus on the contemporary literature, and there'll be further reading suggestions. And we keep in mind that each view can involve claims about both issues. So specifically, timelessness views may involve both the claim that God is not located in time or space-time and the claim that God's life is atemporal, for example, in the sense that God doesn't experience succession, similarly for temporal views. Okay, so this list um, begins with a view that I take from a categorization of Lefthaus, um, pure atemporalism. Now, you might hold that God is not located in time and that God's life doesn't have any temporal features. In fact, you might think that's a natural first loss of the timelessness position. But a uh, few defenders of t- divine timelessness sign up to this view. Um, it has been suggested, and this is left out, that Maimonides and Schleiermacher may hold it, something like it. Then Stump and Kretzmann. Okay. Um, now, of course, uh, as, as a side remark, um, it may well be that, uh, as I say later on, that actually very few people now hold this kind of view. Um, yeah, again, open to feedback about the balance. Okay, so to, to go through just some of this, Boethius strongly influenced the contemporary landscape, and much of this influence flows through work by Eleanor Stump and Norman Kretzmann. Eternity is the whole, simultaneous, and perfect possession of boundless life. Or, it's the complete possession, all at once, of illimitable life. Stump and Kretzmann distill four ingredients from this. A timeless being has life, is alive. So, abstract, I don't count, for example. That life is without limit and cannot be limited. So, it necessarily has infinite duration. It, therefore, involves a special sort of atemporal duration. And a timeless being possesses its life all at once, completely. That is, it doesn't experience succession. And that's what, according to them, makes that being timeless. Actually, in more detail, not only does the timeless being not experience succession, but its life's events don't involve succession. And since change requires succession, there is no change there. But a timeless being is still presently alive in some sense of presently and the events in that being's life are simultaneous in some sense, both with each other and with temporal items. Now, to show how, they coin the notion of eternal temporal simultaneity. To begin with, they define an eternal present to be an infinitely extended, pastless, futurist duration. I should call this timeless present, but I, I won't again to go along with the... Um... Then they say, okay, let temporal simultaneity be existence at the same time, and eternal simultaneity be existence at the same eternal present. Each involves only one mode of existence, namely either the temporal or the eternal. ET simultaneity would relate items in different modes of existence, one temporal, one eternal. And then they base their definition of this kind of simultaneity on notions borrowed from some presentations of special relativity. I won't read it out, but you can look over it or you may know it already. They offer the following image. Imagine two parallel horizontal lines. The lower line represents time, the upper one represents timeless eternity. Uh, Presentness is represented by light. The temporal present is represented by light that moves steadily along the lower line, while the eternal present is represented by the upper line being lit all at once. I'll skip over the rest of that paragraph. 
Okay, by definition, two items can only be ET simultaneous if one is temporal and the other eternal. And since any given item is only one of these, that means ET simultaneity is not reflexive, nor is it transitive. This is supposed to be something that prevents us falling into a particular kind of problem, namely that if T is simultaneous with eternity and eternity is simultaneous with T prime, then T is simultaneous with T prime, leading to a collapse of all times into one time. Okay, so much discussion about this. I won't go through all the objections and replies, but just very briefly, um, there have been questions about whether the notion of an atemporal duration is coherent at all. One of the things that Stump and Kretzmann say in response is that the kinds of uh, conditions that people have brought forward uh, for something to count as a duration are based on the idea that extensions are divisible. And they, they want to say the eternal present is not. And they say maybe not even all temporal extension is divisible. Consider our temporal experience on short time scales and the doctrine of the specious present due to, uh, I forget actually who said it originally, not William James, uh, right beforehand. But yeah, so they say, maybe this is not even conceptually divisible, even though it's a temporal extension. And of course, that comparison is particularly apt if you want to think of the eternal present as God's specious present. And then they also say, um, well, even if all temporal extension is divisible, that doesn't show that all extension is asked to justify their the use of these terms, then they point to other cases in theology of irreducibly analogical predication. In response to the objection that it's not clear what it means for something eternally present to observe something as in the, in the temporal present and vice versa, they modify their definition of ET simultaneity. I think there's reason to wonder whether this reply really is a reply or whether it just uh, relies on the solution it's supposed to Give. So, um, as pointed out by Brian Leftow in a similar context, on the view proposed, if you look at it, uh, the temporal and the eternal can enter into causal relations only if they're in some sense simultaneous. And yeah, that's then something that seems to raise a problem of circularity. Finally, you may well wonder what role, if any, is really being played by special relativity here. The, the intended role is a considerable one. Um, they say considerations of the relativity of simultaneity can show that the difficulties with the notion of ET simultaneity are by no means unique and cannot be assumed to be difficulties in the concepts of ET simultaneity or of eternity themselves. But it's hard to see how they can do that. So Stump and Kretzmann emphasized the finding that simultaneity is a three-place relation and they present it as a response to a threat of incoherence, namely of two distant events being both simultaneous and not simultaneous. But the difficulties with ET simultaneity arise whether it's two-place or three-place, because they pertain to spilling, spelling out what um, an eternal present and the unique eternal frame of reference might be, and how there can be causal relations, including observational ones, between a being in it and us. And no comparable difficulties seem to be involved in special relativity. When the Trinity's podcast returns, Dr. Deng discusses and criticizes some controversial claims by Dr. Brian Leftow of Oxford University. And she also discusses a fascinating argument, which I've put my analysis of on the blog post for this episode.
Okay, so for left how a central idea is that all things in time are also with God in timeless eternity. He finds this idea in Anselm, and like Stumpen Kretzmann, he gives the idea a contemporary twist through appeals to the notion of a reference frame and special relativity. So, starting from the traditional claim that God has no spatial location, he says, uh, since there can be spatial distance only between things or locations in space, this implies that there is no spatial distance between God and things in space. And then from that infers that the distance between God and anything in space is zero. And further things from that, and that's where the reference uh, frame talk comes in. Now, uh, zero thesis and his case for it, I'm skipping to the next paragraph, are problematic from the fact that there is no spatial distance between spatial things and God. It doesn't follow that the spatial distance between spatial things and God is zero. Uh, similar inference leads one to claim that all spatial things are spatially contiguous with yellow and the number three, a claim explicitly embraced by Leftau. He suggests that the zero thesis only seems problematic because one fails to notice that a distance of zero is just an absence of distance, but uh, that doesn't seem right. Um, it's, in fact, a distance. Now, again, it's hard to see how talk of reference frames and appeals to the re relativity of simultaneity can, simultaneity can be helpful here or even relevant. A reference frame is a system of physical devices such as measuring rods and clocks that allow an observer to fix the positions of events. It's not clear how timeless eternity can be such a system. It's also not clear how, in addition, timeless eternity can be like a time, which is another thing that Leftau wants to say. Because then, you know, it's, it's also something, simultaneity with which can be the outcome of measurements. Skipping ahead now to the notion of quasi-temporal eternality. Unlike Stump and Kretzmann, Leftau holds that atemporal duration, understood as quasi-temporal eternality, involves distinct points, but not parts. These points are, at least in some sense, earlier and later than one another, but they don't stand in the relation of succession. And this seemingly paradoxical claim is partly defended by appeals to the B-theory, the B-theory of time. Very briefly, uh, we've seen already, of course, but uh, the B-theory of time being the one that, following McTaggart, only posits B-relations such as simultaneity and precedence and succession, not A-facts, right, about presentness, pastness and futurity. So the idea is Boethian eternity is like an extension in B-time, And a quasi-temporal eternal being's life contains earlier and later points with no succession between them. He wants to say, in this respect, it's like life in B time, without an illusion of temporal passage, though. But I think that that's a misinterpretation of the B theory, because while the B theory doesn't posit temporal passage as ordinarily understood, namely as involving change in A properties, it does posit succession. So the, the traditional idea that on the B-theory there is an illusion of temporal passage to explain is not identical with the claim that given the B-theory there is an illusion of succession to explain. And that's what's needed here because the thought is that a quasi-temporal eternal being's life is one in which all times are experienced at once and that's what a non-illusory experience of B-time would be like. Another suggestion is that the sense in which... Um, quasi-temporal eternality involves earlier and later points is not a temporal but a logical one and as has been pointed out logical priority is not much like temporal priority skipping to 4.2 I say here and I don't go into that much detail partly because I take it this is now the majority view so that there are fewer uh, people to single out but um, I'm again open to uh, feedback on that so what, what, all I, what I say at the moment is there's been a notable sh shift towards the temporal view 
In fact, the temporal view probably dominates today, at least in philosophy. So the view says that God is located in time, slash space-time, and God's experience involves temporal features. In particular, God experiences succession. But unlike ordinary temporal beings, God is everlasting. Then I talk about some um, views that are sometimes called intermediate, other views, that is, maybe um, briefly on Paget. So the view here, take it, is that God changes, so God is temporal. But timelessness is not abandoned either. He says, I have not abandoned timelessness. Instead, I have redefined God is timeless to mean that God is relatively timeless, i.e., he is not measured by time, nor is he affected by the negative aspects of temporal passage. In particular, God's time is non-identical with our measured time. Now, measured time is the specifically human time of our history and our universe, the time of seconds, days, and centuries, the time of our space-time. In that sense of time, God is timeless. However, God is not timeless in the strict sense in which time refers to any kind of temporality because God is in his own time. Now, does that mean that God is only in his time and not in ours? No, he is in our time too, as we are in his. It's just that he transcends our time. What it means to transcend time is that God is the ground of time and that he is not negatively affected by the passage of time and that he is relatively timeless. I just say uh, that one question I think one might have about this is why one would distinguish between measured time and God's time in this way and why posit both. What he says is um, we're told that in everyday speech time refers not to an ontological category but to the human time of our history and our universe. And he supports the distinction by appeals to the differences between this sense of time and the strict ontological sense of time used in philosophy. But I think that may still leave you wondering about the distinction. Well, for one thing, few contemporary ontologists take themselves to be investigating a time distinct from the human time of our history and our universe, nor do they uh, tend to think of the time of the universe as specifically human. Um, and for another, there are a number of quite different philosophical views about time. Okay, now, as I said, there will be further reading suggestions also. Skipping ahead, though, to the section about arguments, I'll just talk about one. This is the argument, which we could call yeah, argument from omniscience and tensed facts. McTaggart, to go over this a little bit uh, again, um, because you can think about these things in slightly different ways, McTaggart distinguished, again, between the A series of events running from the future through the present and into the past, and the B series of events running from earlier to later. And as we've seen, that distinction survives in the form of the contemporary opposition between the B theory and various versions of the A theory. So one way to think of the B theory, I think, uh, or the tenseless theory, theory or block universe view is um, as follows. So one, all times and or events exist and are equally real. Um, that's eternalism, not to be confused with divine timelessness, which I understand has also sometimes gone by that name. And two, there is a complete tenseless description of temporal reality. So a tenseless description is one that stays accurate because it mentions only such things as which events happen when and how they're temporally related to one another. So it mentions only facts about B relations like simultaneity and succession and call these tenseless facts. So the B theory combines eternalism with the claim that there is a complete description of temporal reality or um, you know, a description of temporal reality at its most fundamental that doesn't mention any tense facts like that it's Saturday today. 
Opposed to this are various versions of the A-theory, which deny one or both of these claims. What these atheoretic views have in common, and this includes, uh, of course, eternalist atheoretic views like the moving spotlight theory, and also non-eternalist atheoretic views like presentism or the growing block view, is that they all in some way metaphysically privilege one time. And you know, fundamental tensed facts are a way to capture that privilege. It's, it's Saturday today. It's a fundamental tensed fact. Now, one prominent motivation for the A-theory is the conviction that time passes robustly in a sense that goes beyond mere B-theoretic temporal succession. So as time passes, the tense facts change. First, it's a fundamental fact that it's Saturday, then it's, then it's Sunday. Now, if we recall that the theistic God is omniscient, presumably then, God knows what temporal reality is like at its most fundamental. So if there are t fundamental tense facts, like that it's Saturday, or that it's 2.52, uh, then God knows these facts. Since these facts change, what God knows changes constantly. So God changes, so therefore God is in time. Let's call that our God tense facts. One, God is omniscient. Two, if God is omniscient, then God knows the fundamental temporal facts. Three, God knows the fundamental temporal facts. Therefore, four, if there are fundamental tensed facts, i.e. if the A theory is true, then God knows them. Five, if God knows fundamental tensed facts, then what God knows changes. And six, if what God knows changes, then God changes. If God changes, then, then God is temporal. Therefore, if the A theory is true, then God is temporal. Now, since many of the participants of this debate think the A-theory is true, this is treated as an argument for divine temporality. And in, in fact, some advocates of timelessness respond instead by giving up on the A-theory and accepting the B-theory instead. Take Paul Helm and Catherine Rogers are examples of this. So the thought is that this argument can't be run for the B-theory, since on the B-theory, the fundamental temporal facts are tenseless and hence don't change. That means the parallel argument would get stuck at the analog of step five. It's not the case that if God knows fundamental tenseless facts, then what God knows changes. So while the argument itself is actually silent on whether the B-theory allows one to combine timelessness with omniscience, because note that it's, it's a conditional, not a biconditional, part of the point of making it is that the parallel argument can't be run for the B-theory. It's what's in the background. When the Trinity's podcast returns, Dr. Dang considers whether a B-theorist, that is, someone who does not believe in dynamic time, could endorse a similar argument. wonder whether there are not perhaps arguments in the vicinity, though, of our God-tense facts that can be run on the B-theory too. And what I'll suggest in the remaining time is just that um, 
I'll sketch two arguments, the first one of which doesn't allow you to do that, and the second one I think might. So the first argument is this. One, God is omniscient. That's one prime. Yeah. Uh, two prime, if God is omniscient, then God knows what time it is. Three prime, God knows what time it is, therefore. Four prime, what time it is changes. Five prime, therefore, what God knows changes. And then again, six, if what God knows changes, then God changes. And seven, if God changes, then God is temporal. Therefore, God is temporal. Unlike in the case of our God tense facts, uh, the connection to the A theory here is not that obvious. Because there is a sense in which four prime is true on the B theory, even though there is on the B theory no change in the fundamental temporal facts. At each time, that time is present not in the absolute, metaphysically privileged sense of the A-theory, but in a relative, perspectival sense. Each time is present at itself, just like each spatial location is here relative to itself. Moreover, on a standard B-theoretic account of tense language, at each of those times, a temporal subject S can know and have a true belief about what time it is. You know, at noon, S believes that it is noon. That belief is made true by a tenseless fact such as that S holds the belief at noon, or at a time simultaneous with noon. At 12.01, S believes truly that it is 12.01, where that belief is again made true by a tenseless fact, a different one, such as uh, that this later belief is held by S at 12.01, and so on. But it's true that it's not the case on this B-theoretic account that knowing what time it is, over time, involves knowing different things at different times, even though these are different tenseless facts that make the successive tense beliefs about what time it is true. The reason is that the tenseless contents that are believed can be believed by S at all times equally and often will be. So while at each time S has a tense belief with a tenseless content that differs from the tenseless content of S's tense beliefs at previous times, S may not come to believe or know anything new. So it's a bit of a mouthful. Um, basically, we have these changing tense beliefs on the B-theory. Um, at noon, I believe truly that it is noon. At 12.01, I believe truly that it's 12.01. These beliefs are made true by different tenseless facts. So in a way, what I believe uh, changes there, and what I know changes. But overall, what I know doesn't change. is likely not to because I can and often will have all these tenseless beliefs beforehand. For example, I can know, you know already at the start of the day that I will hold the belief it's noon at noon and the belief is 12.01 at 12.01. So overall, over time, my knowledge, like what, I, what I know will not change. So that suggests that you know, the same applies to God, presumably. And so then that means 5 prime doesn't follow from 3 prime and 4 prime. So that's why... You know, this, this argument won't, uh, it leads to a similar conclusion, this differential uh, conclusion that the B-theory is more easily, allows you to combine omniscience with timelessness more easily. But now the next thing we notice is that what matters is, of course, not just what S knows and believes, but how S knows and believes it on this B-theoretic account of tensed language. Tense beliefs, as we've already touched on, have rather different cognitive significance from the corresponding tenseless ones. What matters for timely action, for getting up and going to the meeting and so on, is knowing the tenseless content via a tensed representation, by having a true tense belief, such as it is noon now, 
again, the point is a more general one that applies equally to indexicals other than now, such as I or here. Generally speaking, the cognitive significance of indexical beliefs differs from that of the corresponding non-indexical ones. So what that gives us is that if a B-theoretic subject knows at more than one time what time it is, then they undergo changes. The reason is that how they know and how they believe what they know changes. They need to keep track of their temporal perspective by having appropriately varied tensed beliefs. It's noon, it's 12.01. At least that is so for anyone whose temporal nature relevantly resembles our own. And now you might of course wonder whether that group includes God. If so, then on the B-theory too there is reason to worry about the combination of omniscience with timelessness or to put it somewhat differently, there is then not this differential upshot and, in a way, less relevance of the A-B distinction to this problem. So the, the argument in question would go something like this, uh, God, what time to? God is omniscient. If God is omniscient, then God knows what time it is. So God knows what time it is. If S knows what time it is, then how S knows changes. How God knows changes. If how God knows changes, then God changes. If God changes, then God is temporal, therefore God is temporal. Very briefly, since we talked about it uh, earlier a little bit, um, just uh, go through this atemporal personhood argument. So suppose that whatever is a person does at least some of the following, remembering, anticipating, reflecting, deliberating, deciding, intending, and acting intentionally. So if timelessness precludes you from doing any of these, then being timeless is incompa incompatible with being a person. And since God is a person, then God can't be timeless. But then you might wonder, is it the case that being a person requires one to do at least some of the above? Instead, one might hold that at most it requires one to be capable of doing at least some of the above. And perhaps a timeless God is capable of doing some of the above, even if God does not do any of them. Alternatively, one might question the grounds for thinking that these activities tend to be precluded by timelessness. Now, it's true that they all seem to involve change, namely a change in one's mental states, but uh, defenders of timelessness may think that we should leave room in our conceptual scheme for a timeless, uh, changeless version of each of these activities. Okay, so I'll stop there. As I say, I'm very grateful for all feedback on structure and content. Uh, thank you. This week's thinking music has been Bathed in Fine Dust by Andy G. Cohen. As always, there's a link on the blog post for this episode where you can listen to or download the whole track. If you love the Trinity's podcast, please share this episode on social media like Twitter or Facebook. And help other people to find the podcast by giving us an honest rating and review in the iTunes store for your country. You can also support the Trinity's podcast by giving a certain donation per episode. If you're interested in that, please visit patreon.com slash trinities. Finally, let us know what you think. Give us a comment on the blog post for this episode. Or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash trinities. The Trinity's podcast is supported by and made for thinking believers like you. Thanks for your support, prayers, and encouragement.
Thanks for listening. We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.